Hey everyone, it's Pius. First, I hope you're all safe and healthy out there. Here in Texas, we're slated to go through an even rougher patch in the next weeks, so I hope we're all physically distancing, washing our hands, all that essential stuff. And I hope soon we can cover engineering education again without this virus looming as much. Second, some thank yous. Rachel and I say this every time, and I'll say it again. Thank you for listening and staying tuned into STEM education. Also, thank you to Craig Bogey. Craig just pledged a monthly donation to the show on Patreon, and he also gets a free ebook on improv games for engineers as a side thank you. So Craig, you're awesome. Donors like you literally make it possible for me to produce this podcast and host it on the internet. And that's it. So now, on to the show. Can kids invent new stuff with chemistry? Let's talk about it in the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. I'm your host, Pius Wong. My two guests this episode are from the nonprofit organization Beyond Benign, based in Massachusetts. Janie Butler and Eric Nash work with Beyond Benign, developing and sharing educational resources in green chemistry. Janie and Eric spoke with me online a few weeks ago following the COVID-19 outbreak. Hi, yeah, I'm Janie Butler. So I work at Beyond Benign, which is a nonprofit. It's located up in Wilmington, Mass. And what we work on is how to do green chemistry education in the K-12 and higher ed settings. And specifically, that's working on how to do chemistry in a little bit more sustainable ways. Okay. And Eric? Sure. My name is uh, Eric Nash. I've been a teacher for nearly 35 years now, and I've mainly taught chemistry and physics. Um, And I often like to tell my students that uh, when I was their age, I I wouldn't have dreamed of becoming a teacher. And now looking back, I can't imagine having done anything else. Well, obviously, I wanted to speak to you because I learned about you and Beyond Benign at South by Southwest, EDU, uh, that was going to take place (laughs) in March 2020. Um, I I thought I was going to miss your workshop that you had scheduled. That's why I thought I was being so smart scheduling an interview with you. But turns out a lot of people missed out on Beyond Benign at South by Southwest EDU. So yes. uh, I'll, I'll ask Janie first, what were your plans here at South by Southwest, first of all? So yeah, exactly what you were just saying. Unfortunately, South by Southwest canceled all the programming. So nobody got to see what we wanted to share out. But it was going to be really exciting. So the relationship we have with Eric is at Beyond Benign, we have a team of around 21 teachers from about 11 different states across the U.S. What we do is we work with these teachers. We really create curriculum guides, out-of-school resources with them so that green chemistry can be spread in a whole different, um, a bunch of different situations inside the classroom along with being outside the classroom. So what we were going to share at South by Southwest was how to put green chemistry into invention and how you can really invent new things using green chemistry. So we'd work together with Eric, along with partners at Lemelson MIT, in creating an inventing green guide, a JV invent guide. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) So you mentioned kind of, this next question is for Eric. You mentioned 
uh, what you were doing. Eric, were, what were you going to add to that uh, workshop? Yeah, um, basically, I just really believe that invention is a is just a really key component to education in general, and in particular green chemistry, because uh, kids these days are daunted with so many sort of problems that they're confronted with, and I, and I really think that they're itching to get out there and try to be active and proactive and and do stuff. And I really have found that uh, the invention component of of a class, but in particular green chemistry has been so exciting because the kids are just so excited about trying to do something. I just think that they're chomping at the bit, hearing about all these problems and being given the chance to try to fix that in some way uh, is really, really encouraging uh, and positive to watch. I would have loved to have seen that workshop. I'm curious, what examples could you give about the kind of invention you can bring to green chemistry? What kind of stuff were you going to do at South by Southwest and what kind of stuff do students do in your green chemistry curriculum? I guess this question could be to Eric first. Yeah. I mean, it's really exciting. Um, I've done this, the green chemistry type of uh, component of class uh, a couple of years, at least two years ago, I had some kids that made uh, bio beads and they started uh, just, you know, the idea of plastic beads as a toy and how they end up in the environment. And so they decided to create uh, biodegradable beads, which uh, they made a website, they created a business. I mean, it was really super um, what they did. Uh, last year for the Lemelson MIT project, we had students working on bioplastics. And uh, again, the stuff that people came up with was so great. Uh, one One group in particular came up with a a thin plastic film that's biodegradable, but you know it, it was super strong, and it could easily see making like a sandwich bag out of it or something like that. And the project got those two kids excited enough that they're going to go into green chemistry. So it's really neat. Wow, Eric! It sounds like you are in the classroom. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and Janie, you're more on the curriculum side. Is that how that works? Spot on, exactly. All right. So to clarify my understanding about the the green chemistry curriculum, it sounds like you have some custom projects. The the things that you were talking about, Eric, sounds like students are coming up with their own projects in some ways. Uh, are there is your curriculum guiding students to come up with their own projects, or is it more like students all design and build for the same type of problem? Uh, in general, it's really open ended, but. Uh... Once we got together with uh, Janie and other folks at Beyond Benign, and we were developing the Lemelson MIT project, um, we started to focus much more on uh, bioplastics and things of that nature. So the kids were allowed a great deal of freedom in what they pursued and what they ended up making, but there were some guidelines, particularly recently with the with the LMIT, the Lemelson MIT project. Um, with bioplastics. And Janie, then on the curriculum side, it sounds like you have that collaboration with Lemelson MIT. Is this uh, an intentional thing to, to have students design their own project? Yeah. So LMIT, Lemelson MIT, they specialize in creating invention guides, JV invent teams. And so we partnered with them to see how we could use this in their guide format to use green chemistry. 
And so what we came up with them, especially working with Eric, is how to invent bioplastics. So it takes the students through the steps of understanding what is in a traditional petroleum-based plastic, how can they invent a new bioplastic, make their own formulations, experiment with that, learn the chemistry of how that comes together. And then from there, they can either, if it's in a classroom setting, we've gotten some feedback from teachers that they like it to be a bit more structured of they're making one thing or they have um, directions to go straight forward with that. Or you can have the students open it up to be a little bit more open-ended and come up with their own ideas of things they would like to prototype. They can have blueprints. They can go from different angles because now they've learned how to make different formulations with different properties to make their own type of prototype. And help me understand then where this curriculum falls in the technical side of things for a school. Because a lot of uh, conversations I have with teachers and administrators is their curriculum really has has to hit certain standards that their state requires or that their school requires. Is this something for a chemistry class? Is this something for an engineering class? What do you say about that, Janie? Yeah, so a little minor details that it's a guide instead of curriculum, but it does hit a lot of different standards, especially engineering and chemistry standards. It works really well in the middle school classrooms and can work in high school as well, but it's project-based learning in terms that it's a seven-part guide that takes the students through the different stages of invention and also in the different stages of understanding a product's life cycle versus lifeline. You mentioned the product life cycle, and as an engineer, that's a really hot topic, I think, nowadays. And that's kind of what attracted me to your workshop in the South by Southwest listing. Why were you all why is this a goal of Beyond Benign, besides it being a hot topic, I guess, today in education? Is there any particular mission or goal that you're hitting with this guide? Yeah. So Our tagline for Beyond Benign is practicing sustainability through chemistry. So what we try to do through green chemistry is you focus on the life cycle when you start inventing. So rather than seeing how it will play out in the environment, if it will be able to break down, you're going to design it to be able to degrade. So with that thought, you're always thinking about the life cycle, always trying to make it into more of a cycle of how it can reintegrate into the environment or be reused or be recycled rather than having something that will end up in the landfill. And Eric, since you've got a lot of that firsthand classroom uh, experience, what does this really look like in class? Because I I feel like, and tell me if I'm wrong, you're dealing with a lot of chemicals and liquids and things. I feel like some teachers might be a little leery of dealing with chemistry projects in their engineering class. Um, But at the same time, I, as an engineer, would love the idea of inventing a new material or biodegradable material. Is this something that is manageable in the classroom? Yeah, normally I would totally agree with you. Um, And I've done a similar type of project where it was crazy, all the different chemicals and things that people were using. But to be honest, this uh, uh, ends up being incredibly simple. I mean, they're just using a variety of different starches. Um, They're adding... Uh, water and heating them. Um, It's amazing the different variety of bioplastics you can get from just using starches as well as uh, some pretty simplistic um, plasticizers. And they're all, because it's green chemistry, the focus is to try to use chemicals that are not going to be difficult to deal with. And uh, I think what's really great about this 
project in particular is that pretty much anyone can do this uh, because the chemicals and things are pretty simple, but it does get crazy and messy. I think that's the thing that you got to realize. If it's meant to be open to pretty much any classroom, young kids, old kids, is there any recommended background that the teacher should have when following uh, some of the projects in this guide? Do you have to be you know, a, a STEM teacher specifically? Do you have to be chemistry certified if you're going to uh, do this in high school? Um, that's a great question. And I'd love to say that uh, pretty much anybody could do this with uh, an inventive uh, spirit. However, to do it well, you really have to have a lot of background, I think, in chemistry in particular, because um, the idea is to kind of compare alternative different methods for some of these procedures that they're that you're looking at. So comparing a petroleum-based plastic to the products that, that the kids are making and making those analogies and comparisons um, is really tough to do. Uh, it's also hard for the traditional teacher to open up their classroom to a kind of a uh, anything goes kind of thing and do that safely and in a way that you can still teach some curriculum as well. So it is definitely tricky. It's not, I wouldn't recommend it for a first year teacher and certainly having some background is very helpful. So it sounds like professional development might be in order or, or highly recommended to get someone going with this. Uh, Janie, do you all provide professional development to help implement uh, some of these projects in green chemistry? Yeah, we do lead a lot of PD as Beyond Benign, and we have a whole bunch of different PD sessions. So we have curriculum that's focused for the elementary classroom, that's more sustainable science, middle school, which is a lot of project-based learning, high school, which is a lot of replacement labs or having students investigate how things can be done in less toxic ways. So for this guide, it takes you stepwise through understanding what is green chemistry and why there's a need for sustainable invention. What Eric was saying is very much true that if you want to get into the more nitty gritty of the chemistry, it's amazing for that because you're able to really explore it deeply and bring the students into understanding things at the molecular level. However, if you don't feel comfortable going there, you're also able to see it at the macro level and see the products they produce and say, oh, that one's definitely more pliable. This one's more transparent. That one's more liquid. You're able to see the different properties that are developed based off of the different materials put in. And I think that's a really neat um, part of the guide. So there's opportunity for differentiation. Yeah, there totally is. And so it's really fun. So it starts off with the students all making the same formulation for bioplastics. And then from there, it leads them stepwise of, okay, if you were to change the amount of water within your formulation, what do you think would happen? What properties would change because of that? And if you were to change the starch that's being used in this, and you're going to use something with a slightly different granule size, then what happens? And it's really neat seeing how the students are able to come to conclusions and really often come to the right conclusion of what's happening. But through the guide, it also explains all the chemistry out for the educators along with the students. So they're able to understand why it's happening, how they're able to explore it, and how to take advantage of it so they can create what they really want to with the right properties. That sounds really cool. I remember when I had to help create curriculum for the University of Texas, chemical engineering was always the hardest, it seemed, to create something that would work 
in the classroom in K through 12. Did you get any perspectives from chemical engineers uh, in addition to chemistry professionals or chemist, actual chemists on your curriculum and how what you're doing in, in these projects applies to, say, industry or the real world, uh, Janie? Yeah, so it's really neat, actually, on the other side of it, having now developed it and being able to talk about it more outwardly, that a lot of different companies were able to see the crossovers with them. And in this earlier fall, as Beyond Benign, we were able to have a media campaign for Chemist Invent Green and feature different chemists across the industry who are using chemistry in different ways to be more sustainable. What's also really cool about our organization is that the founder of the field of green chemistry co-founded Beyond Benign, mm. along with Amy Cannon, who is the first PhD in green chemistry. So having them alongside of our team, being able to look at this guide and review it really um, helps it bring it to its best version and have a really strong backing. And it's also kind of fun to be at the front lines of it too. That's cool. Eric, have you gotten professionals in your classrooms where this is taking place and seen what uh, their reactions were? No, I, I have to say that uh, I haven't, although I, I've uh, suspected and known that uh, Beyond Benign and the connection with uh, the Warner Babcock Institute and all of their professionals that I figured that some people might be looking at things from there. Mm. Uh, Eric, after students go through that class, your your class, where they invent bioplastics uh, with this guide or in a similar curriculum, where do students go after that? Like, you know how in math class we have this track of after you do algebra one or whatever, they, they go to algebra two or geometry, et cetera, all the way to calculus. What's the track, I guess, for students who do these types of projects? Yeah, that's a good question. There's actually, for me, uh, two different tracks because I teach this curriculum in two different ways. Um, so at the high school, I teach an AP chemistry class. And if you're familiar with AP chemistry curricula, they take a test in uh, early May. And then you have uh, some time after that. And this project fits in perfectly for the three or four weeks uh, at the end of the course and they get a, a real hands-on, you know, laboratory experience um, doing labs that are not prescribed. And so many of my kids from that group will use this project in their college, uh, you know, uh, when they write their letters um, to colleges to, you know, kind of boast what they've done. So that's that's one case. Um, the other is that uh, we teach this to a group of international middle school kids at uh, a private school here called Phillips Exeter Academy. And a lot of those kids um, are turned on to the whole topic of chemistry at the middle school age. And it's really exciting because chemistry is kind of a, one of those sciences that a lot of kids at that age don't necessarily think about getting into. So it's awesome opportunity in a summer program because uh, it doesn't fit exactly with a lot of curriculum you might have to cover in a normal school year. So that's a really great opportunity there. Yeah, I could imagine this type of program or curriculum wouldn't be just for school. Do you find that there's any after-school programs or libraries or any other organizations that might use this? Janie, maybe this is a better question for you. Yeah, sure. Actually, it was just in February. There was a February break camp where we ran this guide with them there. And it was just one week, so really compressed because this is a seven-part guide. So it was a 
abbreviated version of the guide, but it was really neat to see how that went because we got to be really involved with it, help lead it. And that was for middle schoolers for a few hours each day for five days. And it's always great seeing what kids come up with. Um, a few teams had made like biodegradable or bioplastic glasses. One group made bioplastic stamps with their initials on them so then they could stamp papers with it. And yeah, it's always fantastic to see what kids come up with. Wow. So both of the projects that, or all of these projects that both of you were saying are pretty impressive. And Eric, before I forget, I just wanted to say I would love to see the website that some of your students have created to show off uh, some of their projects, let alone bioplastic glasses and beads and all these other things. The awesome part, too, is I got to meet Eric's students who've gone through this guide. We made a video together that you can also find on the Beyond Benign YouTube channel. And his students are just fantastic. And you can really see how enthusiastic they are about this. And that's so much credit to his teaching. It's really, it's really inspiring. Excellent. Yeah, I would love to check that out. And I can put links to the YouTube channel as well into the show notes here. So this next question is for both of you, Janie and Eric, and I'll, I'll go one at a time. But what do you think is different about inventing in chemistry versus inventing in any other field? And as background, I have training in biomedical and mechanical engineering, and I feel like design for chemistry is just a little more esoteric. Creating a new material is just a little bit more difficult for me. So how can you demystify this process? How is it inventing for chemistry a little different? And Eric, I'll go to you first. Wow, that's a really great question, uh, Pius. But, um, and it is difficult. I think that um, there are two ways to look at this. Um, one way, you can look at um, inventing from the, the standpoint of materials. So you can also basically have kids make things using, you know, plastic bottles or different types of materials, uh, rubber bands and things like that. And you don't need to get into the chemical reaction part of chemical engineering. And that's a great start off point where kids are exploring materials that they're picking up around the house to make a prototype of some invention, like a, I don't know, like a, an elastic gun, you know, <laughs> um, or something that's, you know, blowing up a balloon or something and just thinking about the tactile experience of, of dealing with materials and then connecting that to the chemicals. Um, that's a good start off point because, of course, you don't need to get into reacting uh, chemicals. When you get into, you know, actually trying to create chemical engineering types of materials, it does get difficult because um, you need to have kids have some kind of experience and you have to have guidance, you have to have the proper safety and all that sort, sort of thing. And that's what I think is really very cool about this project is because you can do it with kids that are in middle school age and it's pretty darn safe. Um, and then if you get them fired up about these things, then maybe when they take chemistry at the high school level, they'll get you know shown more techniques and, and so forth. But you're absolutely right. It's it's not an easy thing, and you really have to prepare the kids to go on to college so they can really learn the ins and outs of, of all of that. But it's a great question, and it is a challenge. And yeah, it's a good reminder that a lot of what you're doing is 
motivating students, it sounds like. Uh, I wanted to ask the same question to Janie, if you have any thoughts on how invention in the field of chemistry is different from invention in other fields. There's the problem out there that a lot of the things that have, have been invented, there hasn't been the thought of its life cycle or how it's going to degrade or how that's going to interact with the environment. So there's a lot of opportunity out there to reinvent things or to do it in a slightly better way. And so if you take that perspective on it, there's a lot of different opportunity for students. And that's actually how the guide opens up. It starts with the investigation of the lava lamp. The lava lamp was originally made with carbon tetrachloride, which is pretty toxic. So the students reinvent the lava lamp during the first activity of this guide. From there, they're able to break it down, look at the components within it, understand the chemical reactions that have occurred, and look at the materials used. From those materials, they can repurpose them to create their bioplastics, and from there go on to explore what they can create from these bioplastics, what different types of prototypes they can make, whether it be like the bioplastic glasses or the plastic bag or the window clings or the stamps. So really rethinking the things that are in our society and what we use of how it can be done in a slightly better way and how it can be reinvented. I also wanted to ask a few more broad curriculum type questions. One is related to uh, computational thinking, which seems to be all the rage in a lot of schools today. I feel like a lot of people connect computers easily to other invention or other engineering fields like mechanical engineering people can do 3d design on the computer or computer science and making programs easily that's done on the computer i'm curious if uh you can connect uh green chemistry to computational thinking in any way uh, or if that, there's an intentional push to do that uh janie yeah, that's a really great question. And honestly, it's something we're really grappling with right now with during this switch to so much virtual learning. Mm. And what we've focused on a lot as an organization is not getting rid of wet labs, but being able to do wet labs in slightly or in completely safer ways, get rid of a lot of the toxic chemicals, understand why those toxic chemicals were originally used and how we can have the same reactions and products made by using different starting materials or different have the same like reactions occur. So I wouldn't say it's somewhere that we've focused on yet, but it seems to be on the horizon and there's definitely a push for it right now. And Eric, same question. Do you have any thoughts on if there's a potential tie-in to computational thinking with the stuff that you're teaching here? Yeah, um, absolutely. So first of all, the, the, the computer is, is, uh, is just a great resource because you can look up so many different recipes and you can, you can find these things that have been done out there. So many of the, the recipes that uh, the kids use were based on something that they might've seen uh, in a YouTube video. On the same token, you can see how different things react because there's so many videos on so many different things out there that could be used educationally. I should also mention podcasts, of course, where you can learn from um, something that you're see, seeing or hearing uh, on the computer. And this is really invaluable in chemistry because there's a lot of stuff that you can't do because it's just not safe. But many times you can find that online. And so um, you can use that as a tool. You can also research about the dangers of some uh, another method that you might want to you know, 
compare uh, a more green type of approach and compare it to something that's done, let's say, on an industrial level, and it's much easier to do some quick research in, in that regard. So that would be one way that I think that this is very helpful. And you both touched on virtual learning or using the computer in general. I guess it, it automatically leads into this next huge issue today. How do you foresee implementing a green chemistry curriculum uh, or project when students are at home? Is is the stuff that you're advocating to use readily accessible to parents or or how would it work basically? And I'll ask this to Janie first, if you have any ideas or concerns. Yeah, sure. I also really like the answer Eric just gave. That was great. But it's definitely on our minds right now. Eric made a great point that all these materials are very safe. They're easy to get, um, you know, if you have a grocery store that still sells stuff. Hmm. But it could easily apply to be done at the home. It's I just feel like it's a completely changing time right now. It's a little bit hard to predict how to react and to what extent, but it is exciting having this guide to be released that's able to be adapted to be done in different settings. And that's kind of what we work on in green chemistry is doing things that reduce the harm around chemicals being used. And by having it be less toxic chemicals, we're able to also have it be less expensive, more accessible chemicals or materials to start off with. And that kind of all leads to our idea of having this equity of access for students to be able to learn chemistry and to be able to invent. All right. Thanks, Janie. And I'm going to let Eric, if you have any thoughts about how online learning could take place or distance learning, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, I've had uh, the opportunity to think about this a lot since the past month I've been teaching from my house. So, um, Yes, I, I think that a lot of these things can be done. The beauty of the curriculum that we wrote for LMIT is that it really is stuff that you could do at home. And there's a lot of chemistry, I would say, that is basically cooking. The whole bioplastics project is really um, the idea of, of thickening agents used in, uh, to make sauces and gravies and things like that and jellos and these types of things. So they're the same principles. And the beauty of green chemistry is that you can use some of these nature-based polymers and, and other materials to do some pretty cool stuff. And you don't need much more than, you know, maybe a hot plate or even a microwave. Uh, you know, you need to have parents and people that are there to oversee these things. Um, I'm not sure it'll ever replace a chemistry class and a, and a chemistry lab. But there are a lot of things that you can do. And, and the advantage of green chemistry is at its heart, you're using chemicals that are benign, that they aren't doing harm to people and, and so forth. So there's a lot more available that you could do virtually and give kids tasks to do from the computer, but are using their, their senses, using their hands. Um, I feel like chemistry is a real tactile and, and using your senses. And that's an important component to add to virtual learning is that it can't be all on a keyboard. It needs to be things that are getting them up and around, getting them out in the woods, getting them using their hands, using their eyes and all of these things, because that's, that's just critical to invention. Okay. Thanks, Eric. You all mentioned, well, I, I think Janie, you started to mention the idea of 
creating something that was equitable that that all kids have access to. And I know Eric, you were kind of touching on that as well. The guide it really walks through stuff that everyone should have access to. It sounds like. Um, are there any issues that educators should actively be aware of when it comes to equity and implementing this curriculum? Uh, Janie, your thoughts? That's a really tricky question. Um, part of our mission as Beyond Benign is everything we create is open access for educators. So they're able to have it in their classroom readily available. We also do it all in Word documents so that they're able to edit it and change it to fit their structure, how they like to teach, to have it ready for their students. And we have that same idea translated into this guide that we want it to be materials that teachers feel safe using. They feel comfortable having students of all learning types. Um, the camp I mentioned with you before for that February break camp, mm -hmm. most of the students there had English as their second language. And what was great is that with the guide, there's so many images. It's really, um, you're able to understand what the materials are, not be worried if they're going to mix up something that there's going to be a big explosion that it's um very right it's a concern in the chemistry classroom but that everything is accessible for students and in that same vein it makes it a bit more accessible for teachers to take away that fear but there are hot plates used within the guide which you know that's always something to be aware of to have some eyes on and to be monitoring with students okay and just same question, Eric, uh, if you think educators or teachers implementing this program should be especially concerned about access issues or equity with different students in your class. Yeah, I think I would reiterate a lot of what uh, Janie just said. I think what I would add is that one of the wonderful things about chemistry, if you look at it through history, it's been a great equalizer for people. Um, you know, if you can... It's hard stuff, but if you delve into it and create some new solutions, these things can be very, very profitable. Um, throughout time, it's chemistry that has made these historic quantum leaps in civilization. And very often it's it's people that are you know willing to dub around and 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 mess around and experiment and try to innovate new things. And uh, from that standpoint, I believe that, um, this is a, a really important thing to try to illustrate to children, particularly of maybe coming from places of, of less, lesser means and so forth, uh, as, as an opportunity. Um, so, yeah, I would say that, that it would be really great to, to illustrate that to whole populations of, of students at, at different levels. Okay. And going outside of the curriculum for just a few more questions, um, I'm reminded of a concern that my colleague, Rachel, she sometimes hosts this podcast with me. A concern of Rachel is that a lot of, and she used to be a chemistry teacher. She would say a lot of students might have maybe an irrational fear of the word chemical, or like if you see the word chemical in the store, like automatically some people might think that's bad. Do you have any thoughts, not necessarily in the green chemistry curriculum, but any thoughts in general of how educators can help spread more scientific literacy, I guess, to their students or the general population, that that chemical doesn't always mean bad. There are good and bad ones. Are there any, I don't know, quick tips for how to do that? Yeah, Pius, I, um, I'm really happy that you asked that question because it, I think it really gets into the heart of, of uh, green chemistry and that you're right. Chemistry has had a really bad rap over, over time and for some good reasons. But 
if you look at the principles of green chemistry, because we've learned so much, it turns out that we can do a lot of things that we did in the past that were bad and dangerous and not good for the environment and so forth. And now we can do them in much smarter ways. I like to refer to it as sort of kind by design, the idea of not only looking at the chemical reaction, but thinking what are the broader implications of some of these things. And the whole idea of Beyond Benign is to basically teach people that there are smarter ways to do some of these things that are cheaper um, and better. And uh, But you're absolutely right. We need to educate people about chemistry and the ways that we can do it in ways that are uh, not going to be dangerous to people and, and the world. Okay. And Janie, same question. Any thoughts on how we can educate people about not fearing chemistry, but I guess empowering people with chemistry? Yeah. I mean, I love what Eric just said, and you said it again in the question. It all comes down to education and really The hope is that more students will feel comfortable with chemistry, to feel like they have a part in it, that they're able to explore it, to be able to to be part of the invention process of chemistry. Hopefully that will disillusion this word that seems to be so fear-mongering for people. And that chemistry is something that we all do daily, that we interact with constantly, that happens in the world all around us. It's something that's so present that it's a shame so many of us try to ignore it or stay away from it or think that it's a lot worse than it is because it's really a way to find solutions and to be able to work towards doing things in new ways and come up with new inventions. I wanted to ask you both just a little bit about your own uh, backgrounds professionally, if you don't mind. If I could ask you, I'll start with Eric. What is your background in chemistry or in science? <laughs> Uh, I was really roundabout. Um, so I went into college uh, knowing that I wanted to study physics, um, <laughs> but I didn't really think beyond that I just really liked it, um, wanted to study astronomy. And when I got out of college, sadly, um, when I was looking at different jobs, um, my first job offer was you know, designing the trajectory of you know the Patriot missile and stuff, and I sort of ran out of that building sort of sick <laughs> and I got a job uh, they, they were offering a job to math science teachers and and I took that because it was nothing else and had the fortune of working with uh, the, one of the best teachers ever as a future teacher of the year and uh, he just turned me on to teaching and then that year uh, chemistry teacher retired and I, I took her job so that's that's my story 35 years later um, I'm still doing a job that I, I thought I might just do for a year, but I love it. It's great. Wow. Eric, thank you for explaining that. I always love to hear how people get into education too. Janie, same question. Uh, what was your professional background, I guess, getting into this? Yeah, I'll get to that. But I also think, Pius, you should ask Eric what his license plate is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Eric, what's your license plate? So it's, uh, uh, GCP, which is Green Chemistry Principles or Good Clinical Practice. I'm actually thinking of having it changed to, uh, you know, kind by design. But uh, yes, I I, I, I I like that because it's I have a hybrid and my kids ask, you know, 
what's that stand for? And I like to point out that, you know, this, this uh, hybrid that I have, it's a Honda Insight, and it's just a great example of uh, green chemistry. I mean, it's, I, I think it's a cool-looking car. It gets close to 60 miles per gallon, and uh, it's fun to drive. And it's just an example of how you can make a product um, using green chemistry principles um, that are inundated in that car. And, uh, you know, you get a, a really awesome product and, uh, and it's good for the environment as best it can be. That's awesome. You're really in it to win it is what it sounds like. I'll let Janie continue to. Okay. Yeah, I know. Just like Eric, I've been bit by the green chemistry bug. Um, so my story starts back when I was an undergrad and I was studying chemistry and biology and really loving it. And I went in as an economics major. I decided to go into biochemistry because I loved how chemistry gave an explanation for why things were happening and really let me get down to the nitty gritty of the problems. I wanted to understand the mechanism and how all these things came about. And I've always been really enthusiastic about nature, about the world, about understanding it. And so it came to this studying biology, studying chemistry, having a deep love and passion for both of them. So of the nature and biology and the why in chemistry. And so when I was going towards graduation, I was feeling a little bit torn because I loved chemistry so much, but I saw all the toxic waste we were creating and all the excess plastic being used. And it was just so, so disheartening. And then I was over in the biology lab and I did my research on phytoremediation, how to get toxic waste out of the soil. And so it was a little bit ironic to say, I'm doing my research on how to rectify this problem that was caused by using arsenic as a pesticide along trails or along old railroad tracks that are now um, made into Appalachian Trail. And then I would go over to my chemistry class and be working with these really nasty chemicals. And it just seemed, it just didn't feel right. And so luckily when I was in school, John Warner, the founder of the field of green chemistry came and gave a talk and it was just earth shattering for me. I felt like someone understood me. They were speaking my language. They were giving me answers to all the feelings of being disheartened about what's happening to our environment and everything that's happening with climate change. I wanted there to be solutions. And there was someone showing me that there's not just a few solutions, but a whole science of solutions. And science of solutions is actually um, one of the lines people use to describe green chemistry. So from there, just like Eric, I was totally bit by the bug. And so I got to go back to my professors and they were amazing. I went to Loyola University in Maryland and they were able to, I was able to work with them and start rewriting labs and how to do them in more benign ways and how we could change the work groups and how green chemistry can have a role in our chemistry classrooms. And from there, I went and knocked down the door at Beyond Benign and said, you are the people I want to work with. And luckily enough, they heard me and I get to work there now. And it's it's pretty amazing. That's pretty awesome that, that you you went for it. Yeah. I guess I should ask you, does your, does your license plate say anything special like Eric? <laughs> nope. No. I wish it did though, right? <laughs> that would be amazing. He and I could match. Yeah. So... Um, I I will address the elephant in everyone's room right now. There is the COVID-19 outbreak in the USA and in the world. Um, just a random conversation I was having with friends the other day, a lot of the protective gear and medical gear and stuff that and, and medical 
medicines, I should say, pharmaceuticals, all the things that we do in response to this uh, pandemic involves chemistry as well, I feel like, and possibly chemical waste or plastic waste. I'm curious if you can, I don't know, brainstorm or foresee any kind of way to integrate what's happening right now with, with the news today with green chemistry. And it's kind of a tough question, but Eric, I guess I'll ask you first if you have any thoughts or ideas. Oh, thanks, Pius. <laughs> um, well, the, the one thing that comes to mind just right off the bat, so um, a lot of um, you know clothing and um, materials that are contaminated, particularly at hospitals, you know they, they need to be washed or cleaned or disposed of in sanitary ways. And something that's coming to mind right now is that I, I know that they will often take um, you know soiled clothes and things of this nature and wrap them in something called polyvinyl alcohol, which is a petroleum-based um, polymer that's water soluble. So you can wrap these clothes in in uh, this material. Um, and then you just throw it into your washing machine. You don't have to touch the stuff and the plastic will uh, dissolve. Problem is that that's, of course, a petroleum-based product that uses a lot of kind of nasty chemical processes to make that. If you could take the product that my kids made, uh, they made a plastic film uh, using starch, which is durable enough to last in warm water for, you know, uh, several minutes. And do the same thing, but now you're you're using a uh, cradle to cradle type of uh, principle behind the plastic, and that's you know just being given the question uh, off the cuff like that. Uh, that's that's one thing that I could think of right off the bat. Wow, thanks, Eric and Janie. I'm curious if you have any thoughts about how to integrate green chemistry with the COVID nineteen news today. Yeah, yeah. There's a few things that come to mind. One is an example we often use when explaining green chemistry. It's a sharklet material, and it's a thin plastic film that mimics the skin of sharks. And so um, the skin of sharks is able to not have things bind towards it. And using that same methodology in the engineering, this film, the sharklet film, is able to be antibacterial. So that could be pretty neat to have that implemented in place of all the Purell using right now, have that on different surfaces. But it's funny, as an organization, we've been talking a lot about COVID, of course. And one of the ways we used to describe green chemistry is we talk about the risk equation. And I don't know, are you familiar with the risk equation, Bias? I'm not. Okay. So it's risk equals exposure times hazard. And the way we look at it of green chemistry is often chemistry, you focus on the exposure, right? So you wear gloves, you cover your face, you have your mm -hmm. hair tied back, and mm -hmm. the hazard is often the nasty chemicals you use. And so we're seeing a lot of similarities right now, right, of everyone thinking, okay, so now the hazard is COVID, we're all limiting our exposure, and that way we're able to um, limit the amount of risk as well. And it's the same methodology of looking towards issues. And so... It'll be interesting to see where we are on the other side of this, but I'm always happy to hear that everyone's taking care of themselves. You're holding your loved ones. You're, you know, circling the wagons that we're all going to get through this. Thanks, Janie. So what's in the future for mm -hmm. this guide, Janie? Um, I love that question. I feel like I have a lot of different ideas. And one of the things we really want to do next is make some online resources that are able to be accessible to teachers for 
learning this guide, for teaching this guide, have a few more resources that can be on our website that coincide with the different lessons within the guide so that there can be stages that explain how you set up your workbench for having the lab stations or what the reaction is going to look like or how you can do that lab or what the different products are that you can produce. So it'll be really exciting to start working on that. Awesome. And Eric, likewise, what's in the future for your classroom, your chemistry classroom? Um, so uh, honestly, as far as my classroom, I'm feeling really good. For me, as far as the future of this is really getting in at the elementary level because um, that's where we're missing the boat. And um, we really have to come up with ways of teaching kids uh, some of these concepts at, at an early age, particularly the invention uh, component of all of this. So my head has really been recently wrapped around the idea of trying to implement this uh, much more aggressively at the elementary levels. Okay, thanks. Again, once more, remind me, how would educators or parents or whoever learn more about Beyond Benign and the Green Chemistry Guide that you have put out? Janie? Yeah, so everyone can go visit our site, beyondbenign.org. On there, you'll find our K-12 curriculum along with higher ed curriculum. And under our curriculum is also the Green Chemistry Invention Guide. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, so I just wanted to say thanks again to both of you, Janie Butler and Eric Nash uh, from Beyond Benign. And I'm sorry that we missed you at South by Southwest. I hope that <laughs> seriously that this is all taken care of. Uh, the next time you have a chance to come to Austin. Um, any last thoughts, Eric? Uh, no, other than I guess, you know, I, I just really feel like um, these are these are really timely and important things to be thinking about. And, um, you know, the earth is a, is a precious thing. People that know me know that I, I love uh, Buckminster Fuller and his analogy of the spaceship earth. And uh, we really need to get the whole world thinking in terms of green chemistry um, because it has to do with working with our resources and making renewable uh, resources and so forth. And I, I just wish I, we could get the word out there uh, a little bit more and, and have people sort of rally around these ideas because they are very, very important to, to really our own, our survival here on this planet. So um, I just think it's really, really super important. Yeah, that's really well said. And just to echo it a bit, it's interesting because whenever I talk to students about this, they completely get it and they understand the need to do things in a more sustainable way. And so it's awesome to see what they come up with, the new innovative ideas, because there's such a need to invent with green chemistry. That was Janie Butler, K-12 Program Manager for Beyond Benign, and Eric Nash, high school teacher and lead teacher with Beyond Benign. The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is sponsored by my studio, Pios Labs, in Austin, Texas, and also by The Engineer's Guide to Improv and Art Games, available through Amazon and other booksellers. This show is also made possible by incredible individuals donating to the show on Patreon. You can help me keep the podcast up by donating online too. Just check out patreon.com slash pioslabs. That website again is patreon.com slash pioslabs. 
Visit the podcast website for show notes, links, transcripts, and more. Go to k12engineering.net. Thank you for listening. Take care out there and tune in next time.